Welcome to Blooming Out on Community Radio, WFHB. Blooming Out is a forum by and for the LGBTQ plus community. Each week we explore the issues, events pertaining to the LGBT community in Indiana, the U.S., and internationally. We speak with guests about human rights, coming out, the legality of being gay, and much more. Blooming Out is a multiple award-winning program here on Community Radio, WFHB. Thanks for listening to Blooming Out. Good evening, everyone, and welcome. I'm Frankie Preslav. I'm Melanie Davis. And I'm Justin Robertson. So um, we're going to do a little round table and see how everybody's doing today. We'll start with Melanie. <laughs> <laughs> how are you doing? Uh, falling temperatures, falling leaves. Yeah, it's fall. It's fall. I'm Your favorite season. So jazzed. There's a... Uh, um, they're gearing up for, for all the haunted houses and stuff, and I've been online checking those yeah. out and you like those <sighs> those are her favorite Do you really I, well i mean yeah i was raised in on it house were you so, yeah so that was that's fun. a story we need to talk about no, yeah, maybe one day. Next show, like sure. in an actual haunted house or one where like your parents set it up as a haunted house and just never took down the decorations no it was like actually oh, okay, haunted. Okay. yeah no like real, real ghosts real real oh. fun Wait, stuff frankie did you like kevin Say that he's on too. No, but I'm here. No, yeah. I'm <laughs> hi Kevin. How are you? I didn't have an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> no, he said his name. I didn't. No, he didn't. Oh, you didn't say your no. name. You, I'm sorry. So, what's your name? I'm I'm Kevin Mosenzani. Okay. Welcome, welcome, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> so, uh, our other gracious host. Find me on Instagram, K Mosenzani. <laughs> so, how are you doing? Fantastic. Yeah. It's fall. It's fall. And you like cold weather. Yes. I don't like to sweat. That's so just. Whew. It just messes up the hair. Yeah. The hair. The and product. then you just got to like shower a lot. And that's just yeah. a lot of effort. I'm not about that. Yeah. And yeah. So, well, you're looking good in the cold. Thank you. Appreciate it. So keep it up. And Justin? Uh, well, you know me. I'm grumpy cat. I hate the fall. Yeah. <coughs> I hate. <laughs> he's, just, he's just our bitter old Justin. <laughs> exactly. Old and bitter. But I am always quite happy in 99 is, degrees. That's true. So everything is good. I never give anybody. Yet you wear like then. sweaters all the time. This because I'm always cold, Kevin. <laughs> it, it's Mr. Rogers. Even in '99, you would do it. <laughs> I do. Yeah, doing it. <laughs> so it's my turn. Yeah. Yes. How, how are, are you? you? <laughs> That's great. Do you have anything going on, Frankie? I'll no, bet you have some news. Uh, you know, no, no. Things are pretty chill right now. Um, <laughs> you know, the the. We're just running not a deficit in the house right now. The kids are doing oh. well. We're everything. Everything is kind of going knock on wood. So awesome. we're we're one happy little house. So tonight we're going to welcome uh, Caleb Gassett from. Uh, he's a program manager at uh, uh, Prevention Department. Uh, I'm sorry, we'll start this again. Uh, um, a prevention department at the Damien Center. Also, we have Mary Beth Short um, with uh, Indiana University, uh, IU Health with Positive Link, and she's going to be on to talk a little bit more about uh, what Positive Link is up to. So um, you want to say hi? Hi. <laughs> hi, Meredith. Glad so, to have you on. Thanks. So um, we're going to talk more towards the end of the hour about Positive Link, um, and we're going to kind of 
of pick up from last week's show. Um, we had Jade Bead from uh, Jade, I'm sorry, B from Black Lives Matter. We reported on several Black Lives Matter pressing issues, and we kind of ran out of time. And there was an article that I wanted to get to that we uh, didn't have time. So, uh, Melody, can you kind of take that away, and then we'll just start from there. Sure. Uh, the mission statement from the Brennan Center for Justice at NYU Law fights for ideals promised in our nation's founding. They worked to build an America that is democratic, just, and free. The Trump administration uh, targets Muslim, LGBTQ, and Black Lives Matter communities with uh, countering violent extremism programs. Countering violent extremism programs, CAVE, already controversial in the Obama era for their reliance on debunked methodology and targeting of Muslim communities, have their worst qualities supercharged by the Trump administration. A new Brennan Center analysis finds that under Trump, Muslims and other minority groups, now expanded to include Black Lives Matter activists, LGBTQ Americans, immigrants, and refugees, are explicitly targeted in more than 85% of Department of Homeland Security grants for CVE. The Trump administration has taken an already dangerous set of programs with no record of success and funded them uh, based on the premise that diversity and experience of discrimination in America suggest a national security threat, said Faiza Patel, uh, co-director of the Brennan Center for Justice's Liberty and National Security Program. CVE has always operated under false pretenses, conducting surveillance and law enforcement work under the guise of community services. It provided the Trump administration a ready-made vehicle to ramp up the targeting of minority groups, and they appear to be taking full advantage. CVE programs are purportedly designed to identify and preempt Americans from becoming involved in violent extremism. Among the analysis's main findings, more than 85% of CVE funding and over half of CVE programs now explicitly target minority groups, including Muslims, LGBTQ Americans, Black Lives Matter activists, immigrants, and refugees. The amount of CVE funding going to law enforcement has tripled from almost 765000 to over $2 million. 14 of the 26 programs funded by the Department of Homeland Security target schools and students, some as young as five years old, often encouraging them to report suspicious behavior by parents or fellow students. <clears throat> CVE programs include a range of activities, including community outreach, developing counter um, messaging and developing indicators to identify vulnerable individuals. A host of empirical studies have debunked the theories and assumptions on which CVE relies. The Brennan Center's analysis reviewed the Department of Homeland Security CVE grants to 19 cities in 13 states and the District of Columbia. For each program in each city, it contains information about funding totals, community targets, local partners, and more. So... Uh, yeah, deep breath. Yeah. Um, report your parents' kids. Yeah. I mean, this is... And, and then the pro stuff from the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Um, scary. What was that you said from the 60s and 70s? COINTELPRO. Uh, it what was, was uh, uh, FBI, I believe, go, uh, government infiltration and then counterintelligence mm -hmm. programs designed to discredit people um, and to uh, uh, infiltrate and... Uh, disrupt mm -hmm. uh, community organizations and things like the Black Panthers and um, right. uh, and other uh, groups. And uh, it was an unchecked free-for-all of, of uh, 
government abuse in that area. Right. Well, I, I was just a kid then, but I remember my mother was part of the Boston's Women's Coalition, mm-hmm. and you know they co-wrote our bodies ourselves. And, yeah, you know, she was part of that. But we would get calls all the time, you know, from the FBI, and they started watching my mother because wow. so it was. I'm just wondering if it was part of that. I think I'm, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure, it is. It was pretty well, broad. Yeah. yeah. So this kind of, you know, breaches our just is a, a stepping stone from just our last week's show of we covered so much. And I personally, and I think I got a lot of wonderful <coughs> feedback from, you know, people that were listening and, and other friends as well on just on how much insight and how much they learned and how much I learned. I, it was a, a different perspective. I thought I knew a lot about Black Lives Matter, and I actually learned that I didn't know a lot about Black Lives Matter, really the history, um, the, the, the emotion, the passion, the things that I kind of took for granted. Right. Um, and it was actually after the show, we, we had conversation um, with, with our guest, and it was eye-opening. And what I'm hoping to do, and and then the 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 connection between the LGBTQ community, the Black Lives, and you know, it, it just for me, it, it centered so much that I so many of my questions I personally had that I didn't have the answers or um, the capability. I hate to say it to hear mm. what was being said. And, and I feel I'm in a, in a better place. I definitely have a lot more room to learn and still, you know, get it to educate myself and hopefully the listeners and, and others. So I want to continue this conversation. But I thought this was a and I, I wanted this piece to be read last week. But we, we had so much um, uh, discussion and, and the conversation went <laughs> for we, I don't think we ended up with any real uh, music breaks at that time we just kind of kept going right. so I, I just thought this was really important to bring this up and um, and, and have more guests back and, and, and really talk about this stuff because it, it's scary and it's things that we as a community really need to know about and, and how to how to deal with it and how to um, oh, for lack of word attack you know, with, with what's happening. I agree. Um, we have to combat that. It's And it's a huge learning process that we're, it's going to take more than, you know, an hour radio show or more. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. and, and that's what we kind of learned from last, well, the conversation is like the conversation needs to continue and, mm-hmm. and, and there is not like going to be that one point. And we have some remarkable individuals here in Bloomington. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, to that we can just within our own community that we will be able to invite back to continue these conversations. Right. So hopefully if people are out there and they're interested in, in, in coming on and talking about um, Black Lives Matter and the LGBTQ community um we would love to hear from you as well um so we'll table this for now and we'll get over to justin and he has some lgbtq news of the week okay thank you frankie while england is making prep dramatically cheaper american men still can't afford it thanks to a court ruling in the uk a cheaper generic version of prep could be available in the future but in the united states only four percent of men who have sex with men are using the drug and cost is a big culprit. PrEP has shown itself to be remarkably effective in halting the transmission of HIV, 
Britain's High Court has overturned Gilead Sciences patent extension on Truvada, the brand name for PrEP. This could lead to a less costly generic version of the medication. For those in the UK, this could lead to an 80 to 90% savings in cost. PrEP is not yet available via the National Health Service in England and Wales, in part due to the cost. Currently, the NHS would have to pay as much as £350 every month for each person using the drug. A similar barrier to cost exists in the, in the U.S. It is likely keeping the drug out of the hands of those who could use it the most. In a recent study published in PLUS One, researchers showed that the use of PrEP is still extremely low in the U.S. The blame is put on difficulties in acquiring the medication, including its cost, as well as a lack of knowledge about the effectiveness of the drug. Most in the study reacted positively to the drug, but this didn't translate into usage, with bisexual men even less likely to take it over gay men. The ruling in the UK, as well as a similar case in Ireland last year, could help fuel activists sim seeking similar options in the US. A campaign titled Hashtag Break the Patent is pushing for generic prep in the United States. According to Drugs.com, a 30-day supply of the brand-name drug could cost around $1,758, depending on the pharmacy you choose. So, and this is an ongoing conversation that we're having. We've, you know, invited uh, Damien Center and Positive Link, and we're getting a lot of education as far as on um, what uh, is available. Um, you know, it's it's still one of those you know, things that I can't get my head wrapped around. That it's it's such an important drug out there that it should be in the water. <laughs> sure. I mean, you know, it's something that you know could be you know, change. A, a lot. Yeah. And, you know, uh, our, our government is, is always slow to response. And, you know, I'm, I'm just I don't understand why, why it's, you know, not on every billboard out there. It's, you know, not, you know, talked about within the schools that people yes. understand that this is what, you know, can be the difference between life and death for, for, for many people, especially with the opiate, you know, epidemic going on and we're seeing such an influx of HIV with just in that population alone. <coughs> and mm -hmm. if we can, you know, help by distributing this medication and getting health care to these individuals, um, because, you know, it's a trickle up, trickle down, trickle, trickle over, you know, situation. And, you know, this is, you know, other countries are obviously on it <laughs> and you know we're, we're we're lacking which is is, is well it's strange there seems to be just silence in the media in general you just don't hear about it i mean if you want to find out about it you have to be very proactive <coughs> right. to find out about it and everything i've learned about it has been from this radio show right and having such guests as meredith on from positive link and jesse and others and uh so it's I really thank you for being here, Meredith, because it's always great to have all of you here and all the wonderful work that you're doing. But, you know, my doctor never talked to me about it. Right. Nobody yeah, it was it. a conversation I went in with, you know, a family friend and, um, and you know, a, a progressive doctor. And I was the one that kind of brought it up with this particular doctor. 
And he really just didn't know anything about it. Right. And I, it took me educating him and the importance of it. And he got it and he prescribed it to this individual. But it was, you know, it was a conversation that I shouldn't have had necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what Positive Link and Damien Center are, are doing is they're going out and, and doing educational forms with uh, physicians around the state of Indiana to, to help them understand why it's important but more so than that we not more so but we also need to let the community understand what um, an important drug this is and it, and it is affordable there are ways around it and we'll talk more about that I don't know if you want to address well, I was just going to say one of the things that we found even if people can get the medication it's the testing that needs to occur consistently that's people are unable to afford and I know that the Indiana State Department of Health is looking at that and trying to figure out how to fund some areas for, for that particular purpose and make sure that they can get the STI testing, the kidney functioning testing and all of that mm. without if their insurance doesn't cover it because it often doesn't. Right. Is it, uh, you know, just a question, is it on the black market? I mean, are people trading it back and really forth? Good, not to my knowledge, uh-huh. but that that's a great question. I don't know. Yeah, and I know it can be really dangerous if you are – you know, positive, HIV positive, and you start, you know, on PrEP, it could do the opposite. It's not mm-hmm. something that, any, you know, you should just take because you think, hey, it's a smart thing. You need to have the appropriate testing and stuff. And, you know, it's just street lingo conversations, mm-hmm. people wanting to, you know, stay alive and stay healthy and think, hey, I, you know, got these this bottle of medication and, you know, this can help you. And, and you know, that's how. What do you do if you're HIV positive? Okay, so people who are HIV positive are not supposed to take it, correct? It is a medication. It is part of some people's medication regimen who are positive. It is okay. a medication used to treat HIV as and then also to prevent HIV. Okay. But it has to be prescribed for... Right. But if someone is taking it and does not know that they have HIV, mm-hmm. it can cause resistance is, is the short mm-hmm. version. Okay. Or short that's what answer. it does. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> that was my question. Yeah. That it, I can did. Cause, <laughs> it can <laughs> cause a resistance <laughs> to other medications um, that could be effective. And, and you don't want that to happen because you want to have want to be able to take all of the options instead of just limited options. Right. Got it. Thank you, Meredith. Yeah. <laughs> so um, in other news, uh, New York and the, and the New York Yankees will celebrate LGBTQ pride in 2019. On September 21st, the New York Yankees announced the creation of the Yankees Stonewall Scholars Initiative, MLB.com reported. The Yankees Stonewall Scholarship Scholars Initiative was created to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Inn uprising and celebrate the achievements of New York City Public School um, graduating seniors who have demonstrated academic achievement, a commitment to equality, and impactful support for the LGBTQ community. The Yankees Stonewall Initiative will provide five $10,000 scholarships to one student from each of the five boroughs of New York City. The selection process will be conducted by the New York City Department of Education with public high schools nominating one graduating senior from each school. Quote, through this initiative, we are proud to recognize the profound historical impact of of Stonewall and celebrate the many meaningful contributions to the LGBTQ community, said Yankees managing general partner Hal Steinbrenner. The celebration for, for the recipients will take place from June 17th to the 26th in 2019. The celebration will include representatives from the LGBTQ community, the New York City Department of Education, the New York City government, and Stonewall Inn. In 2019, the Yankees will host uh, 
other LGBTQ community-themed uh, commemorative events. The M- MLB.com later goes on to talk about all the plans that New York City plans to host for their host for their exhibit of LGBTQ pride. New York City will host the NYC Pride, which includes its Pride Month. It will also be home to World Pride in 2019, which will be the first time it is held in the United States and the second time in North America. This is exciting, so buy your tickets. I got mine. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, I got my room ready. I'm I'm ready to go and rock on this one. So this should be a good party. <laughs> There's a lot going on. I mean, you know, but obviously New York is getting all behind that and just the stone wall and the history of it and um, you know, I think it's just going to be, you know, we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens within this year with so much as always with politics and whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I'm definitely uh, going to be there for for some celebration. So that we'll, we'll get the, the white van all ready, and maybe you guys can <laughs> we'll, we'll come out. All right, okay. on the top. Yeah. <laughs> you have a white van. Yeah. It's sort of like the paddy wagon. They put I had the paddy wagon. Yeah. Oh, you have the paddy wagon. Yeah, Par- the paddy party wagon. wagon. It's the party, the party wagon. wagon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with me and my children. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. We do. I mean, it's, 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 it has multiple uses, that van. So the big, well, we the don't big white know about the <laughs> Multiple uses. So that's why I always kid people. You know, if you see me driving a big yellow school bus, it's not my new career. It's our new family vehicle. Right. Right. <laughs> it's out there. <laughs> so um, we need to put this uh, discussion on hold for right now and take a music break. So, Lucas, take us away, and we'll return shortly.
act blooming out you have been listening to maria taylor with one for the shareholder well we now have our guest caleb gossett and a really good friend of mine on the phone with us he is a program manager in the prevention department at the damien center and oversees services focused on community education leadership training and patient care since his first internship at the damien center in 2014 he has continued to stay involved with hiv and other lgbtq health initiatives by using his experience in educating, he strives to bring awareness and create a passion for HIV as, as the older queer generation once did, as well as promote a message of empowering the LGBTQ plus community to live healthier, enhanced lives. As the largest AIDS service organization in the state of Indiana, the Damien Center provides services to more than 4,000 individuals affected and infected by HIV and AIDS. Located in downtown Indianapolis, the Damien Center is easy to access and offers a wide variety of programs and services available in-house. By doing so, the Damien Center utilizes a one-stop shop approach to caring for those affected by HIV and preventing its spread. So thank you for being with us tonight, Caleb. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So um, can you tell us, uh, what does what is the Damien Center like? What do you guys do? What, do you, uh, what are you guys all about? So as you said, we are an aid service organization here in Indianapolis, and we're relatively small, but we're continually growing as we're seeing that our patient population is needing more and more different types of services as well. So we really are always striving towards that one-stop shop approach to the care we're providing. And so that means we're not only providing them medical care for people who are positive, but we're also being able to prescribe PrEP in our clinic. We have on-site testing that is free with no appointment a housing department that also includes food pantry and as well as mental health services too. But as I said, we're continuing to expand and add more services as needed. So you guys kind of do everything. That's what I'm getting. Uh, we're really trying to. <laughs> um, so we know that you can be um, positive, and, but also undetectable. So can you explain to our uh, listeners what that means? Yeah. So I think the concept of HIV and how we get it is something everyone's pretty familiar with, but the context of what undetectable means is something that's relatively new. And to simplify that, it means that there's so little of the HIV in someone's body who has it that it can't be detected by your typical test. And since we know currently there is no cure for HIV, it just means that it's so little amounts of it in them that they can't find it with that test. Absolutely. So um, what is kind of what is kind of the state of HIV and AIDS just in America? Are we seeing like an increase in the spread of it, a decrease? Um, can you just kind of lay, out, lay that out? Yeah. So right now we're kind of stagnant on our ability to really have a huge impact on the amount of new diagnoses um, in the United States right now. Mm-hmm. We're currently, we're on average throughout the last few years having 40,000 new diagnoses throughout the country every year. Um, But I think if we're able to educate people about undetectable status and that people who are positive, um, if they can reach that undetectable status, what studies have shown is that they can't pass it to others. And if we can continue to get people to suppress the virus in them, then people who are already positive can be a big component in preventing the spread of it moving forward. Mm -hmm. So explain, so you can become HIV uh, positive and then move to undetectable? Is that what I'm getting? Yeah, so 
okay. when you're first diagnosed or when you first contract HIV, you're probably at your most um, infectious. So that's the time when you have so much of it in you because it's trying to replicate itself so quickly and it's really easy to give it to someone else. Um, so to get to undetectable status, that requires you taking your medication every day that your doctor has prescribed, as well as seeing them on the schedule that they have uh, set up for you. And then once you reach undetectable status and stay that way, like I said, there have been multiple studies to show that there is little to no risk of giving it to someone else. Um, and within the last year, the CDC actually has gotten on board with this message. So. A lot of the local HIV and AIDS communities really getting behind this and doing out U equals U campaigns, which means undetectable means untransmittable, and really getting people to know that if you are positive, then staying on your medication and having consistency is very important. Wonderful. So you kind of touched on it, but as far as like community support, it sounds like you're maybe seeing a little bit of an increase in that, but what are kind of the issues um, that are facing um, maybe not HIV specifically, but even just STDs and, and that kind of thing, what are, what are some problem areas or, or trends that you're seeing right now? I think the main thing is, I would say, and this could be across the world on multiple issues, is just mm-hmm. education. I mm-hmm. don't think people have the basic education of um, what HIV is, how you can get it, and how you can't get it. I think there's still such this large stigma, and because HIV and AIDS was originally um, referred to as a gay cancer and a gay disease back in the 80s, um, we're now still seeing the effects of that, and um, HIV and STDs of any sort do not discriminate. Anyone can get them from anyone else. Um, So it's really, I think, about educating people that abstinence isn't the only way to prevent, and I think it's not not realistic to think that everyone's going to be abstinent. So we have to educate the population and the greater masses that if you are going to have sex, if you are going to be at risk, then these are the prevention options that we have for you. Absolutely. I could not agree more. So when do you suggest having these conversations with your family, your kids, your mother and father? Um, you uh, know, Because that's, that's something a lot of people don't realize is that the, uh, they're finding a lot of positives in senior citizens. Um, and that's one community that they feel like they haven't necessarily been touched or they're safe, but that's actually not the truth, right? Well, so there is a, a, there are senior citizens being diagnosed with a variety of different STDs, and I think um, I worked in long-term care for a little bit there a few years ago, and I think um, when you get to, I would say, the nursing home, Um, I think those types of things, like they are sexually active and protection isn't being used. Um, But I will say the highest uh, new STD diagnosis, um, which was just announced as well, that's increasing, is in the ages of 13 to 24. So I think as what I went through in uh, grade school with my sex ed, I think around the fifth grade and then eighth grade, maybe moving on to high school as well, maybe those three increments, I think if we just buff up, what we already have, at least from what my experience was, I think that those would be in, um, good times to have those conversations with youth. Right. I guess I, just kind of going back with the, the senior citizens, from what I was reading and from what I understood is like there's, you know, more women, less men, 
and they are not necessarily feeling that you know that they're at the high, high risk for contracting HIV because of their age, and they kind of missed maybe the, the the boat, so to speak, on that. And um, I don't have the statistics sitting in front of me, but I remember and I was quite surprised reading that they were seeing an increase in um, HIV in, in that population because of just, and I hate to say it this way, just ignorance in the sense that the nursing homes, the you know, the community centers, just, you know, that age group not being made aware because we do hear between 13 and 24 as being a, uh, you know, an age group that has increased um, issue or, or increased in, in contracting HIV, that there is this population as well. And I think those are the conversations that, you know, on radio so shows such as ours where we might have uh, a population that might be mature as well is having those conversations and thinking that it's not just the 12 to 24 year olds that it definitely could affect, um, you know, senior citizens or our, fa- our, our parents. So having those conversations, which are kind of difficult, but the more we talk about it, the easier it becomes, right? Yes, I agree. And I think that having those conversations is a fantastic way to really battle stigma. Um, I think trying to normalize it and making it something that we continuously talk about will only make it easier to talk about with a variety of different people. I think it goes back to that education part. Um, and while I haven't seen the article or the numbers that you were talking about, making the assumption aside from they're probably not using protection, um, we are seeing that people that have HIV are living a lot longer. Right. There is a large aging group of individuals that came from when the epidemic broke. And um, currently the healthcare system as well as specialty organizations like the Damien Center really have to be ready for this big wave of elders who are positive, who have lived that long because medications have advanced and HIV is no longer a death sentence. Yes, right. Well, Caleb, we thank you so much for being part of uh, Blooming Out. We understand that you will be leaving uh, Damien Center and heading up north, so we will miss hearing your lovely voice on uh, oh, thank you so Blo- much. Blooming <laughs> Out. And, and thank you for your time and dedication and all that you've done for um, our community in Indianapolis and um, uh, Chicago. I'm assuming that's where you're going. Uh, they're lucky to have you up there. So um, best of luck. And we'll be looking for you up there. But thank you for for being here. So we have to take another break, um, a community uh, update, and we're going to do a short music break. So take it away, Lucas. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you.
you were just listening to Song Beneath the Song by Maria Taylor off of her album Saddle Creek. And now we're going to look over the community calendar before throwing it back over to Blooming Out. Um, this weekend, we have the 25th Annual Lotus World Music and Arts Festival. Um, and that will be this weekend. Um, 30 international artists, free large-scale art installations, and events for all ages will fill 14 downtown Bloomington venues with palpable energy and eclectic blend of global sound and spectacle. Um, That's this weekend. And then later on, on September 30th, that Sunday, we have the LGBT Aging and Caring Network Pitch-In Gathering at 925 South Highland Road, Bloomington. Um, The Pitch-In and this month is at Marlon Howard's house. He's located at uh, 925 South Highland Road in Bloomington. Um, that's Sunday at 5 p.m. All right, now we're going to throw it back over to Blooming Out. Welcome back. We have Meredith Shore with us tonight. Uh, she's been working with IU Health, Health's Positive Link for 11 years. She began as a health educator and currently provides Kate's management for those living with HIV using evidence-based health promotion intervention recommended by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention called CLEAR, Choosing Life, Empowerment, Action, Results. Meredith has been a member of the Community AIDS Action Group for 11 years as well. She served on the statewide community planning group and HIV prevention group for many years and is now the chair of the Indiana Advisory Group. This group works in partnership with the Indiana State Department of Health to work on goals of a statewide integrated plan to support those living with HIV and improve prevention of HIV. Meredith is going to discuss the Community AIDS Action Group of South Central Indiana, CAAG, as well as a new arm of the CAAG, which will be a continuum of care committee. Well, welcome. Well, thank you. Yes, thanks, thanks for, for coming in, me. Meredith. Thanks. My pleasure. What is CAAG? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the Community AIDS Action Group of South Central Indiana, there are comparable groups all around the state. So it's just, it was started um, almost 20 years ago by now um, as just kind of an educational group and then um, has continued on, thankfully. And it's a group of primarily, we have member organizations. We do have some individual community members who attend, um, but it's primarily, currently I think our member agencies are Positive Link, the Monroe County Health Department, Indiana Recovery Alliance, um, Kaleo, which is Kilimanjaro Educational Outreach. Um, (coughs) So uh, we meet, in case anyone wants to join us, everyone is welcome. We meet the fourth Tuesday of every month at 4 p.m. And it's at Positive Link's uh, office, which is 333 East Miller Drive. Um, But we currently, the two main things that the group does at the moment are planning the annual AIDS walk and Mm -hmm. then our annual World AIDS Day Ceremony of Celebration Remembrance, which this year will be uh, November 29th. It's always in the Fountain Square Ballroom, and it's, we have entertainment and um, food, of course, but then we do like a candlelighting ceremony to honor those that we've lost. So those are the two main things that the CAG does currently. And what time is that going to be? That will be at 5.30. Food 5:30. starts at 5.30, and then the program will start at 6. And usually lasts about an hour. It's just 
Okay. And if people want to participate in that, what? how do they do that? Do they or have to sign up somewhere? Do you mean just attend or do you or mean attend, provide or entertainment? Because we still need, need entertainment. Both? Okay, well, let's <laughs> put a plug wanna, out there for that. That would be awesome. Um, Coryland Men's Choir is going to perform. They oh, they're always, great. They're always there yeah. every year. Um, but they can contact me if they want to if they want to participate in the actual um, program. Um, my email is m short s h o r t the number four at iuhealth.org. Um, and then any if you want to attend, anyone's welcome. You just show up. Yeah, and it's okay, it's so you free can just show and up it's at just yep, show up at five thirty, grab some food, and then yeah. Okay, great. Awesome. And then when is the AIDS walk? It's going to be in April. It's the second Friday, I believe. Okay. Or first or second. I think it's the second Friday. I can't remember. It's okay. the one before Little Five, whatever. Well, we, have, we have some time. Yeah, we'll, we got we'll some time. About Let's that talk about that. Yeah, we got a couple fine. of shows yeah. to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll make sure. So, kind of tell us what a, a, a day in the life of Meredith looks like. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, <laughs> Is it a good idea? That's a good idea. <laughs> Not really a good question. Um, so. I do case management, individual case management, primarily with people living with HIV. Um, so at Positive Link, we have people called care coordinators. Who so we had Julie and Amy on. Yes. So they do. Last um, night, right. They do um, a form of case management, but mm-hmm. it's they don't have enough time to do the extra support kind of stuff because they're unfortunately having to deal with insurance consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, so I provide extra support, and it's usually. Uh, a lot of it is medication adherence. Um, back to what Caleb was talking about, the undetectable equals untransmittable. If we can make sure people um, can figure out how to manage their medication to take them consistently, then they are undetectable. And then that's a way of preventing HIV. So, um, so that's a big part of what I do. I also work with substance use stuff, sexual risk reduction, um, healthcare and self-care disclosure, stigma, those are kind of so the are, topics. So are clients coming to you? Or are you going out and talking in the community? Or? Uh, it's it's usually individual. Um, they come to me. Sometimes I do a lot of home visits. I'll go and meet people at their house, sometimes at a coffee shop, I'll try to make it work for, for the individual and what they need. So it's really, I always... So how would they get to you? I mean, like, what, what would, you know... They can, there is not a formal way that, need, that needs to happen. They can just come and say that they want to talk to me and then I'll explain. There's, it's since it's a Centers for Disease Control uh, mm-hmm. program, it's got some structure to it. Um, but I tried really hard to make it individual based and kind of meet people where they're at and see what they need. So are these positive link clients already or are these? Some of them are, but not all of them. Yeah, and not everybody has HIV. I do work with some people who are just trying not to get HIV right. and need extra support for that, so yeah. So maybe somebody who's on PrEP and wants extra support for that and their medication management so that it yeah, can cover a, kind of a wide range of things. So are you going into the schools and talking as well? I am not, but we do have a couple people at okay, Positive so Link who do not, that. Right. Yeah, so that's yeah. I have in the past when I was the health educator. I did some of that. You mentioned something, Meredith, that was interesting to me that was uh, disclosure. Mm-hmm. So is that if somebody has HIV and how they handle Mm-hmm. Helping helping people that. talk about their status. Yeah, let's yeah. Hear a little bit about yeah. Um, so currently in the state of Indiana, there is a law that people are required to tell anyone they have sex with, and that includes any kind of sex, um, oral, vaginal, or anal. Mm-hmm. And then they are also required to tell anyone they share a needle with. 
of any kind. So that may be injection drug needle, that might be a tattoo needle, whatever that means. So that's the current law. Um, there's a group working on changing that. The HIV modernization movement is what they're called here in Indiana. Um, Ch- changing that how? Changing the law so that it's not mandatory. That might be a topic for another. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's we a, should we should talk about yeah, that because it's I want to talk. It's about kind that. of controversial, but it's. Mm-hmm. Um, Is it something that's being it, supported by um, agencies such as yours? Yes. Or are you, okay. I, Yes, I think I could say that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the State Department of Health is on board, too, because it's basically that law is criminalizing a disease, which seems right. un- not okay. So, right. Yeah. So, but how how do we, I guess, and again, it could be for another show, too, but it, it opens a lot of questions mm-hmm. as far as how do you, you know, keep the population safe? How do you make sure that, you know, people mm-hmm. are are readily admitting Mm -hmm. that they have an infection. I mean, you don't always know that you're positive for one. Um, Right. I think think the move is toward trying to make it more about intent as opposed to just that because there have been cases around the United States where people are going to prison for literally 10 years for not transmitting right. and not telling someone when they had oral sex, which right. isn't really a risk. Right. So Yeah, there was some, okay. you know, without naming names or anything, it was probably four or five years ago, there was a young person here in town, mm-hmm. and um, this person was positive, and it was, you know, a, a relationship, and I don't think there was any bad intent, and it got blown up, and I think this person ended up being arrested, a young person, a teenager, and I, you know, criminalized, and mm-hmm. it was a really sad, sad story on how it kind of broke down, and you know, hopefully, you know, so yeah, and I'm yeah. sure there's, and plenty. it's just, it's a challenging thing to prove because usually it's something that happens with just two people present in a private location where there are no right. witnesses, so right. it sometimes right. becomes one person's word against another, and it can be some something that people, if they get angry at a partner, they may, I mean, yeah, it, again. Right. Complicated, right? But yeah, yeah, and I always, you know, tell my children, <laughs> assume everybody has everything. That okay. way, you can yeah, that's a <laughs> pretty good rule of thumb. <laughs> just, just, hey, um, we're coming to the the forty five, just over a little bit. So we're gonna take a, a short music break, and then we'll be back and finishing up our questions. So take it away, Lucas. Watch the children sing, but not to be singers. And so hopeful they still are believers There's so much to do or say without repeating And a sad story you hope she would keep reading Maybe a message you're just not receiving There's so much to do
blooming out. And we're with our guest Meredith Short from Positive Link. Thank you for being here, Meredith. We really appreciate it. Um, Can you tell us uh, more about HIV Care Continuum? Yeah, so there is um, the Continuum of Care is a series of steps that a person with HIV takes starting from their initial diagnosis all the way into to when they've achieved viral suppression. Um, so it starts, they get diagnosed. This is the ideal way that we want this to work. Um, diagnosed with HIV, then they get linked to care, which means a physician. Um, at that point, a physician will run labs, figure out what medications work for them, prescribe medication, um, then retained in care, which means they'll have a couple times a year at least probably a visit to a physician where they will have lab work done they'll check make sure that the medication's working um, and uh, prescribed prescribed medicine is part of that so the antiretroviral therapy which we call mm-hmm. art because you have to have lots of acronyms right. um, <laughs> that's a good one yeah <laughs> I know it sounds nice doesn't it um, and then achieved viral suppression so um, so the State Department of Health um, and each state has an integrated plan that they submit to the Centers for Disease Control that um, presents how the each state plans to make this happen, to make, mm-hmm. make sure that people are able to move along this continuum, remain in care, and achieve undetectable virus. Um, and so our State Department of Health is asking each region to create a local continuum of care committee to make sure that that occurs in each community and figure out what gaps in services exist and try to fill those gaps. Um, so what that means is there could pretend they're willing to put some money towards that too. So locally, we are um, hoping to start one and we are having a kickoff breakfast on Tuesday, October 9th at 9 a.m. Um, that will be held in the Fountain Square Ballroom, which is on Kirkwood and it's on the top floor of the Fountain Square Mall. Um, breakfast provided by One World Catering, and it's not oh, continental good. breakfast. It's a hot breakfast. It's a real it's a breakfast. real breakfast. You mean like pancakes uh, and eggs? And, and we have gluten-free and vegan and oh, all of the options. Yeah. We're covering everybody. all our bases. Uh, you know your audience. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and it is open to the community. I need to know. This is kind of last minute. I would like to know by Monday morning if you can attend. Because <laughs> I got to put in the thing because it's October 9th. Um, but literally anyone is welcome. And like I said, there could potentially be funding opportunities. The The goal is to figure out um, if, for example, if you're uh, an agency that provides transportation for people, some of whom may be living with HIV, you may be able to get some of that money. Um, so, and it could be food, it could be any number of things. And we're used to having, like at the CAG that I talked about earlier, we're used to having people who specifically do things with HIV. And the goal here is to bring some more non-traditional folks, think outside the box, Mm -hmm. to the table. Like what would that be? Um, Or who might that be? um, It could be like a legal person. Um, It could be, we're definitely going to have some people living with HIV come to the table. It could be somebody on prep. It could be... um, I don't know. I don't know. Just a small town doctor, because it's not just Monroe County; it's surrounding counties. Um, so, a food right. pantry. I don't. Yeah. I mean, literally anyone that might that somehow there could be services that they provide for someone living with HIV, or even prevention in some way. That sounds great. So that's October 9th. Mm-hmm. and at what time? Nine o'clock in the at morning. At nine o'clock in the not morning. Too early. At the Fountain Square Ballroom. Mm-hmm. Okay, and if if they want if 
somebody wants to attend this, they need to RSVP with you. With me, or we have, and it's on um, Positive Link Facebook page, the Community okay. AIDS Action Group Facebook page, um, and there's an evite on link to those pages. Um, again, my email is mshort4 at iuhealth.org. Um, so yeah, just let me know, and I'll put you. I'll put you down and come in. And it's no commitment. If you come, it's to learn and mm-hmm. get the information, mm-hmm. and then you can decide if you want to participate. Right. Um, Jeremy Turner is the deputy director of HIV, STD, hepatitis um, mm-hmm. at the State Department of Health, and he's going to come and kind of explain it better than I just did, basically. You did um, a great job. Thank you. Nice. <laughs> it's, it's complicated <laughs> to explain. Um, but he's going to come down. He worked at Damien Center um, previously, okay. where Caleb is from. So he's got a lot of good experience, and he's going to come in and join us and explain it. And you guys, we talk about this each time, but I think it's important to kind of bring up, you guys represent a lot of Indiana. I mean, you have... It's 20-something. It is... Yeah, I always forget how many counties. And we don't do all of the all our services in all of the counties, but yeah, uh-huh. we do. And it's... Yeah. So for this particular... Right. We're going we're gonna to have a continuum of care in a couple different of our regions, but okay. this one would include... And I'm not going to exclude anybody, but Monroe, Brown, Bartholomew, Lawrence, Green, Owen... Morgan potentially counties. So, okay, all yeah. of our neighboring yeah. counties. Well, awesome. Thank you, uh, Mary Beth, for being here. We Thank really you. appreciate you. you guys from Positive Link coming out and sharing all your wonderful information. It's so important. And um, we, we here at Blooming Out think it's you know something that needs to be out there. And we're really happy that you guys are part of this. Um, so a big thank you out. An additional thank you to all of our listeners and volunteers who make this possible. I'm Kevin Mosanzade. I'm Melanie Davis. Blooming Out is produced by Frankie Presslaff. Our executive producer is WFHB News Director Wes Martin. Lucas Fisher is our engineer. Blooming Out's community liaison is Alex Ashkin. Our trusted intern is Jasper Tony. For Blooming Out and WFHB, I'm Justin Robertson. And I'm Frankie Presslaff. And remember, if everything was straight, roller coasters would be one long, boring ride. Good night from our Bloomington Out family. You've been listening to Blooming Out on WFHB. Blooming Out is a product of WFHB's News and Public Affairs Department. Tune in every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. for Indiana's only LGBTQ plus news and public affairs program. You can hear this and other programs online at WFHB.org. Comments and suggestions for future topics or guests can be sent to bloomingout at WFHB.org. That is blooming O-U-T at WFHB.org. And thank you for listening.